On this week's 10th anniversary TribCast, we'll talk about the last 10 years of the Texas Tribune and our top news moments with the co-founders and early colleagues who made it possible. But before we do, I want to thank today's TribCast sponsors. Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas. Want healthcare insights? Listen to the Blue Promise podcast hosted by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Learn more at standingwithtexas.com. And Raise Your Hand Texas, strengthening public education for the future because the future of Texas is in our public schools. More at raiseyourhandtexas.org. Hello, this is Emily Ramshaw here on Thursday, November 6th with the Texas Tribune Tribcast, our weekly Texas politics and policy podcast. I'm joined this week by CEO Evan Smith. Hello. Hello. I'm trying to be uh, serious today since this is a serious topic. You don't need, this is not a very serious topic. This is the best topic. Yeah, Executive editor Ross Ramsey. I'm trying very hard not to be serious today. Uh, well, we're thrilled to have you here <laughs> for a very special Tribcast <laughs> edition commemorating the Tribune's 10th anniversary year, a birthday podcast of sorts. Uh, we will talk about the last decade of the Trib and the Tribcast and we'll take questions from you, our listeners in real time on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, as always, you can do that using the hashtag Tribcast. Uh, but quickly, before we jump in, I also want to tell you that we are kicking off our 10th anniversary year with 10 major events focused on the future of Texas, starting with a two-day forum in Houston, November 14th and 15th, on the future of urban Texas. That event will feature conversations with big city mayors Steve Adler, Sylvester Turner, and Betsy Price, as well as- Homelessness may come up. Homelessness probably will come up, as well as dialogue on affordability, public education, healthcare, and more. It is free to attend. Evan will be there. RSVP today at texastribune.org slash Telling people that I'm going to be there is not a reason to go. It's (laughs) a reason not not. to go. should go anyhow. Yeah. Uh, All right, so Evan and Ross, uh, take me back uh, in time a decade, more than a decade, to the moment when the Tribune was just a glimmer in your eyes. Who who hatched this grand plan? Who really gets to take credit? Whoever you talk to first. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I give give John Thornton credit because it was John Thornton who had the original idea for some kind of news organization that, in his words, would save capital J journalism. That was the phrase he used. And I always found that to be a slightly awkward, ungainly <laughs> phrase, capital J capital journalism. J. Right. But, you know, he had spent time as a venture capitalist looking at uh, the American Statesman when it was originally for sale by Cox and was interested in determining whether investment in a newspaper or in a media company on the for-profit side of the business was worth it. And he concluded after a period of time, maybe a year that it wasn't, but he came out of that experience thinking even if the news business as a business is not worth it, journalism is worth it. And so there needs to be some alternative to the existing model for doing it to ensure that capital J journalism would always have a place. So I think we have to give him credit for having the original germ of an idea. Now, obviously, over time, I'm not even sure that he had a sense of exactly what that meant or what such a thing would look like, but over time – that idea kind of, you know, went here and went there, went here, went there, morphed a couple times and became something that ultimately became the Tribune. But there were a lot of stops along the way. Yeah. So, I, you know, my sense was that there was, you know, that all of that's true, but we were all three thinking about different versions of this. And when we sort of sat down and started talking to each other, it became clear that, you know, we were at least moving on parallel tracks. We were sort of all thinking about the problem of not enough journalism in you know, this this area in, in Texas civics and politics and government. I mean, one, one fundamental tension that I think is interesting to think about now is Ross was a traditional news guy. Mm-hmm. 
And I was a traditional magazine guy. I'd been a magazine guy all my life, interested in the news, interested in politics. You had been a news guy. Right. How did you two get together? I mean, did you? Jim, I've actually never asked this question. We kind of knew Were each you, other a little, didn't yeah, we? Jim, Jim, yeah, we knew each other, you know, to say hi, but, you know, really the matchmaker, on, at least on my end, was Jim was Henson. Jim Henson. Oh, wow. Our pollster. Um, right. And he and Evan are old friends, you know, personally. And um, actually, Jim and I became friends because uh, Jim's wife and I are old friends. Hmm. And uh, Henson grabbed me at a party. I think it might have been at your house. He grabbed me at a party for Seymour Hirsch at your house. And, um, <laughs> said, you and Evan need to go have lunch. You're talking about the same thing. I love that mm. Cy Hirsch is in the middle of this How about story. That? Isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't remember that. You know, I, I was interested in f finding somebody who was at the center of this world that would be covered by the Tribune. Because even though I'd been the editor of Texas Monthly and I was interested in this stuff and I had relationships with people in the building, I was not a news guy and I was not in the middle of this conversation at the Capitol. Hmm. Editing the best and worst list is not an adequate, uh, <laughs> you know, you don't get an automatic membership into right. the club for editing the best and worst list all those years. So I started There are a asking, lot of things I could say at this point, but well, yes, uh, I'm just going to let them slide. I, I bet so. <laughs> um, so I started asking people in the capital community broadly defined. I asked people in the lobby. I asked people in the press corps. And I asked members and staffers the old the fairy best? tale question. I said, who's the fairest of them all? I said, who is the person who, when they write something, you I need to hate read this part. it? No, it's true. But it's because you, you, you hate anything you that borders on flattery. Most, you are one of the most genuinely modest and humble people I know. But this is not a moment for modesty or humility because the fact is— Because it's the Tribcast. <laughs> had there been no Ross Ramsey as an element at the beginning, there would be no Texas Tribune. And I say that about you more than almost anybody else because you gave us instantly credibility— and you gave us entry into the club. You carried us along. You were our drug mule, basically. You, you smuggled <laughs> us into great. the building. Right. Just get uh, across the border and barf it up. I, yeah. asked, I asked everybody, who is the person whose stuff you feel compelled every time to read because you know that it's true, because you know that it has insights? Who is the person whose phone calls you'll always return? Who is the person you trust? Even when you're mad. Who is the fairest of them all? And to a person... To a person, they all said Wayne Slater, and I couldn't get him, so I called Ross. <laughs> no, that's, that's actually a lie. Uh, to, no, to a person, they all said, of course, Ross Ramsey. And, you know, to my mind, you either grow market share or you acquire market share. And the very best example over 10 years of this, of acquiring market share, was acquiring, in essence, going into business with Ross. Mm -hmm. Well, talk a little bit. You you were both very much doing this sort of undercover of darkness. You both had other jobs. You were trying right. to sort of quietly recruit a staff. The second floor of El Chilito downtown was the clubhouse. That this, was right? the sneaky clubhouse. I mean, I have this memory of like Ross asking me to meet him in the Capitol, in the Capitol cafeteria, you know, in the bowels of the Capitol. And it was, you know, this sort of sneaky conversation. And he told me there was some other guy involved in this, but he wouldn't tell me whose name it was. And it I was like, you I told him you it was Voldemort. You told me it was Voldemort. And it was like so obviously. Fact check true. It was right so obviously. <laughs> he must not be named, right? <laughs> it was so obviously Evan Smith. But um, what were those early days like of trying to sort of recruit and build this thing when you had day jobs? So phase one was sit down and talk and pass notes. And I'd been involved in a bunch of these. You've probably been involved in a bunch of these. And I didn't really think we were going to form a business. I thought we were going to have an interesting conversation with a couple of really smart guys and, you know, maybe drink a couple of beers. And um, that conversation went from roughly November of 2008 <clears throat> to roughly March or early April of 2009 before it became, you know, really like, before hey, it I, became think, we may, a thing. I right. think we may actually start something here. Right. And then um, 
we had a period where if we started something, you know, when we, when we built this, we sort of imagined what we wanted to do and what that would look like and what it would cost. And then we sort of said, here's what the technology would be. And then we sort of said, and here's what the business would look like. Instead right. of figuring out, okay, we have a dollar. What could we spend uh, it on? Understanding, we sort of said, what yeah. would, how would we build this machine? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Understanding that even though Ross had run Texas Weekly all those years, and I had, you know, in some respects run Texas Monthly and was at the time that we were having these conversations, president of Texas Monthly, um, neither of us knew how to run a business. Neither of us knew how to hire a staff. Neither of right. us knew how to build or run a content management system. The story of the Texas Tribune in its early days is not the stuff that we knew. It's the stuff that we did not know right. and could not do and somehow were too arrogant or too stupid to understand would be obstacles to this thing getting off the ground. Well, this is where John was a great advantage because, you know, he had been through all these startups and had seen all the – seen a, hadn't probably seen all of them, but had seen a bunch of different ways these things could blow up. I want Ross to fact check this. So I've said many times over the years that we built what is the equivalent of a fantasy baseball draft list of people we in the press that, corps right? who, if we could hire them, if money was no object, if circumstances were no object, these are the people we'd like to join us at the beginning. You were, of course, on and at the top of that list. Um, my memory is that we got everybody we had on that list. All but one. Mm. We now had I want to know who you wanted who to get. I don't remember who the one was. There was one, one was. going into, she had just gotten accepted to law school. Um, who was it? Uh, Liz Hernandez. Huh. Oh, um, right, Liz, Liz if you're listening to this, yeah. you were supposed oh, to be on the one this that, team. Right. The one that the got one away, that you remember this? Away. Right. Hmm. That's right. But See, so, I thought you were going to say Morgan Smith because Morgan Smith did go to law school. And I remember the, the a week after we announced that we were doing this, we were finally out of the closet on this. Right. Right. I was on the way to Colorado, driving with my family on vacation to Colorado, and Jan Jarbo Russell, who had been a longtime writer for Texas Monthly and is like the kind of exemplar San Antonio person, called me and said, I heard what you're doing. I've got one for you. Right. She's in law school. She's the I, I know her because she grew up here and she's the daughter of friends of mine. And she'd been at Slate before. She's in law school and she's unhappy, but you need her. You, this is somebody you want to call. I mean, really, in a lot of instances, it was people like Emily, Brandy Grissom, Matt Stiles, Elise Hugh, who we knew were the next generation. These right. were the people who were the most important journalists at that generation, at that stage in their careers in the press corps. But then there were some additional people who kind of over time, Brian Teveno uh, from um, the New Orleans Times Picayune, who'd been involved with two different projects that had been Pulitzer winners and, you know, Julian Aguilar, I met it when been, I was at Texas been writing Monthly. For me for, right. mm-hmm. Yeah, but I met him when I was at Texas Monthly when he was still working for the Laredo paper. I met him down in Laredo, and I thought, well, this is a terrific guy and a great kind of aggressive and um, smart journalist, and he's somebody, if you ever built a team, you'd want to have him come. Yeah, he was working for me at Texas Weekly, even though he went to Burgess High School in El Paso instead of the right high school in El Paso. But, um, I mean, it, it, the, the, the thing about that, I mean, Emily, you remember this because you were there from the very beginning along with us, is that particular combination of people m- mostly worked. It was dreamy. I mean, yeah. it was a bunch of kids who were great friends kids. with each other coming yeah. to work at this startup. We were all in these, you know, regional, mostly regional news organizations right. where the sort of writing was on the wall and our futures were questionable. I mean, it may have felt risky for the two of you starting this venture up at these, like, at sort of already at the pinnacles of your career. <laughs> for the rest of us, it was like that we were rescued. Well, you it know, was- that's, a fu- that's funny that you say that because <laughs> I, I think back on, I've asked myself this a lot, you know, why did Emily and Brandy and Matt and the young people who came to work for us why would they risk? I could tell you that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've thought a lot about that. This was the pitch. So Evan was in a contract at Texas mm-hmm. Monthly, so he had to be quiet. And that's why the Voldemort stuff. And so I was out talking to 
you and some others on the list. And the pitch was basically, we're starting this thing. I think it will probably, I know it will go three years because we won't open the doors otherwise, unless we have three years of funding. And it will probably fail. And if it fails and when it fails, you'll have an interesting failure on your resume. Everybody in journalism is trying experiments. The story you'll be able to tell is I was in the Texas thing and oh, what happened to you there? And every one of you asked the same question, which was, isn't this risky? And the answer that I finally settled on was, how's it going where you are? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and how's it going? And that wasn't really <clears throat> a, a yeah. slap at the papers or the TV stations we were hiring from, but the problems of the business of journalism had made what used to be cradle to grave jobs at newspapers and TV stations risky. And so your risk Cradle curve- Cradle to layoff. All, well, all well, gra- your, it was your, all grave. Mm-hmm. Your, right, that's right. You know, the everybody's risk curve was different. So if you say, you know, do you, are you willing to take a risk? Um, one of the risks in that in that group of choices was stay where you are and see how mm-hmm. it goes. Um, so I don't think, you know, people were, you know, necessarily taking a big dive. You were early in your careers. It's the time to take risks. I didn't think of this as a risk because I figured, you know, in my head, I could, you know, I'd been doing a political newsletter, and if this blew up, I could go do a political just newsletter. Go, just go do something else. Emily, right. this is where I've come down on this. I, I asked myself the other half of this is I asked myself all these years, well, how come they took the chance to come? No business plan, no research, no feasibility study, no focus groups. I've now concluded that the real risk was not leaving, it was staying. Mm-hmm. 100%. Right. So, so talk about what launch was like. You know, sort of what did it feel like? What kind of reception did you immediately get out in the world? Well, and by you, you mean we, because yeah, you know us. you were you were right there on that but first you were day. The boss. The, but one Bosses. of the big stories that we published on the first day was a story by you. I mean, that's the God. That was a depressing story. It was like a was giant a picture story. of a ki- you know a kid with autism who'd been beaten at her Bru- public bru- school. Bruised, yeah. Bruised, um, yeah. Uh, you know, I think that there was a lot of skepticism about what we were doing. I think that people within the industry in Texas were looking at us kind of half amused and half pissed because mm-hmm. we were arrogant going out of the gate uh, in doing what we did. And they took that as an affront. You know, they said, you're you're basically coming after us. And we said, we're not trying to replace you. We could never replace you. We're trying to add to what you are able to do under difficult circumstances. But there right. was an arrogance that probably was, you know, a, more of a defense mechanism. Than there's no if you go back and read that. some of the early stories, we oh did God. a lot of unfair chest beating. Yeah. I cringe. Yeah, we didn't know enough. I mean, this is, again, being too stupid to know, being too arrogant to know. I would wish we could go back and undo a lot of the things that we did. I did a lot of jumping up and down. At, at mm-hmm. the beginning. But, but I will also say that... Um, I think there was some curiosity about whether this thing could work. One of the things that I always love to tell people is we thought we were on the cutting edge at the time that we launched this thing in November of 2009. We're going to be this hip digital first thing and we're going to produce all this content and we're going to distribute it. We were in the stone age now. Right. The, fir- the first iPad was not released by Apple until the spring of 2010. Instagram did not exist. Snapchat did not exist. Slack did not exist. Twitter was still some little thing over here on the mm-hmm. side. People were still using Blackberry. Amazingly, we, we, podcasts did, had just basically just become a thing. We'll talk about that in yeah, the next and half. I, and I want to credit, in a lot of ways, one of the most important hires we made mm-hmm. in those early uh, uh, months was Elise Yu, mm-hmm. because Elise came from the multimedia side She'd of the been business. At She'd yeah, been at KVU. She'd been at KVU, and she was much more open to and encouraging of the idea that we needed to produce products that were not just basically mm-hmm. the equivalent of words on a page. Right. And, and that particular set of, of skills, like everybody brought something different to the table, is, again, one of the reasons why this worked. We didn't hire 
eight or nine or 10 or 11 of the same journalists. We hired different kinds of journalists with different areas of expertise Mm -hmm. who approached these things differently. Again, we didn't know what we were doing. We stumbled in the dark for a few months. Really, I think that when the State Board of Education started to pop up as a source of national embarrassment, amusement, and curiosity about three months in, I have real clear memories of this, that Brian Devineau was reporting on, and Morgan Smith were reporting on the State Board of Education in like January of 2010. That was really the moment where I thought, you know, actually – Maybe this is going to work, and maybe there's something we can do here. It, our coverage got a lot of national attention, and that was the first time that I thought, oh, okay, maybe Early this maybe this will happen. Yeah. Rasa, um, Paul asks on social media, was there a plan B if this didn't work? I mean, did you all go into this with a backup plan? To get no. a job. <laughs> no, I mean, no, it was, you know— <clears throat> the advantage of the conversation, you know, in retrospect, the advantage of the long conversation and especially having, you know, people from three different, you know, sets of expertise in that conversation when we were talking about this was that we mostly talked about how, you know, an idea would come up and then we would attack it. And and by the time we actually opened the doors, we hadn't figured out everything by any means, but we had thought about so many ways this could fail that we felt like we had an answer to most of the things that at least we knew about. And it turned out to be, we had the answers not to all of them, but to enough of them that, you know, I I didn't really have a plan B. I just sort of had, you know, let's just jump. Emily, at the end of my tenure at Texas Monthly, which was almost 18 years, I was pretty much circling the drain. The magazine was most definitely not circling the drain. They were great and engaged and energized people there. I was ready to go. And in fact, two years earlier had said to people on staff, um, I'm beginning to think about what I'm going to do next. So for me, uh, and it was, a, it was a long time for me to decide that this was something I wanted to do. Right. But for me, um, I was leaving Texas Monthly at some point, if not immediately, then pretty damn soon after that anyway. And so if this didn't work out, plan B was going to be whatever – I was going to do when this didn't exist, but I was going to leave Texas Monthly. I just didn't know. Um, you know, one of the things that the three of us who are – Emily and I are not native Texans. Ross is a native Texan. But the three of us love Austin and love Texas like we've been here for – I mean, Ross's case, he has been here forever. But, I mean, we, lo- <laughs> we, we love this place. There he goes, calling you old again. We love this place. Well, forever, like not literally ever forever. Ever and ever. Right. And ever. <laughs> um, if you live in Austin and you're in the journalism business, there aren't a whole lot of options. There's the American Statesman. There's the Austin Chronicle. There's KUT. Um, yeah. There are some TV stations. But really, it, this is not like if you're in the magazine business, say, as I was here. If you're in the magazine business in New York and you're at Esquire or you're at The New Yorker and you decide to leave, you walk down the street and there's 500 other places that you could conceivably transfer those skills. Right. So here, it was, a, it was either basically change industries or create something. Mm-hmm. All right, well, uh, I'm going to move on to the second half of this TribCast where we're going to talk about the history of the TribCast and more. But before we do, I'd like to thank two more sponsors. The Texas Energy Summit. Come hear the latest in the rapidly changing world of energy. Interact with leaders from industry, nonprofits, and academia at the Texas Energy Summit, November 12th through 14th at the Capitol. Register today at texasenergysummit.com. And the Texas Bankers Association, which represents about 500 banks across Texas. Learn why Texas banks are the heart of the community at texasbankers.com. 
Okay, uh, I want to talk about the very early days of the Tribcast, which is also 10 years old. Um, by our count, this is our 429th episode, which is crazy. This is like a gray beard among uh, totally. podcasts. It's, yeah. uh, and to do that, I'm going to bring on uh, someone who was the host of the Tribcast for the four years prior to my hosting duties, and that's Reeve Hamilton, who's going to join us by phone. Oh, uh, God, As great. well as our managing producer for video, Todd Wiseman, who was the Trib's uh, original editor, the Tribcast original editor. He's going to come up and join us on stage here in just a moment. I, I, I love the fact that you sprung Reeve on us. Reeve, Todd, Todd I can more Reeve, or less are you handle. there and can you hear us? Yeah, I'm maybe the uh, the only original uh, reporter that Evan hasn't mentioned yet at the podcast. <laughs> I know, that's, I was wondering that's that. That's probably right. Well, you know, it's consistent <laughs> with how I treated you when you worked here, right? <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's true. And, you, and you said you did me. make some mistakes in those early days. <laughs> it's true. He did a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Uh, okay, welcome, Todd. Thanks Thank for joining you. us. So, uh, Reeve, take us back in time, sort of what was the thinking behind the Tribcast? Uh, you know, you were around in the early days when Elise Hugh was hosting it and you were often on the Tribcast, then you got to take it over. Uh, tell me a little bit about sort of what the strategy was. I know there were some things then that were different about the Tribcast than they are now. Well, I think strategy might be too strong a word. <laughs> um, still yeah. is. Boy, you I know? agree with that. Yeah. That's exactly That's right. right. I, I, I mean, I think, you know, if you were listening to political podcast at the time, it was pretty clearly modeled on Slate's podcast, uh, you know, the political gap fest, which we ultimately ended up recording an episode with at one point. But, you know, it's this idea that you can hear the reporters talking to each other as they do in the newsroom, which is not the experience you get reading their work on the screen. Um, so it's just, a, it's a unique uh, thing to offer the, the, community, I think. And, you know, and that this, was just the, what we were trying to do. I don't it, think we really had much of a vision in mind. We just hit record. I, I think it was consistent. With, Reeve is exactly right. It was consistent with the idea that these reporters exist essentially at a distance or at a remove from the people who ultimately read the stuff. And now you're putting faces with names, you're putting voices with names and their work, and you're getting to know them as people. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, that, that, that to me has been a really great innovation. But, of course, now everybody does that. Well, plus and Todd's, Todd's the longest standing member of the Tribcast team. I mean, you were editing it from day one, right? Yes. I, I, I mean, I sort of co-founded it mm -hmm. with Elise. I remember showing up early, in, uh, early on in the Tribune's history and figuring out how we were actually going to, you know, plug the cables in and make it work. <laughs> and, you know, it was sort of like Mark Maron's garage. It was uh, pretty... pretty uh, low-tech kind of situation there. but uh, Everybody had a has a podcast today, but back then this was not a, a, a typical... Yeah, alligator clips and right. car batteries, right? So we right. had... There were things we used to have in the Tribcast. There were some special... There was theme music. There were special guest intros. There were some bloopers. Uh, Reeve, tell us a little bit about some of the things that you uh, you tried to add to to lighten the mood. Things we have... Things we've since done yeah, away with since it's so serious now. Right, yeah. Don't take any offense to, to the fact that we <laughs> threw away everything that you did. <laughs> Well, it was it was a product of its time, perhaps. <laughs> the uh, I mean, I think the things you're referring to were not in the original tripcast. In the original tripcast, it was really just Todd would know it was some sort of uh, public domain music um, yes. that led into uh, sort of a straightforward conversation. So then, when I started hosting it, we started to add random things, and it was just sort of a grab bag that we pulled together—a collage. <laughs> If you will, for example, at the end of at the end of a signy die party one year, um, we pulled Joaquin Castro into the recording studio and had him record an intro 
which then became sort of a standard. We had these celebrity intros in each one. And, you know, years later, his brother is running for president. So it really set off a, a number of careers. Our second, our second celebrity intro was Michael Quinn Sullivan. And that's oh, how he used, wow. learned to use a microphone. Michael Quinn Sullivan captured on tape. Do we, have, don't say. <laughs> Do we still have a recording of Did that? you record it with a pen? Um, my, my question is I don't remember when these started. So you're saying they actually started in the Reeve era. We never yes. did celebrity intros in the Elise era. No, not prior. No, no, it was really just a whim at a party. Uh, I think it was 2011. Wow. And then, yeah, and since then we've had Phil Collins do them. I think you guys had Morgan Fairchild after I left, uh, you know. That was definitely Morgan Fairchild, the ultimate cultural reference that nobody in the newsroom gets because (laughs) did we ever have Jeff Tweedy? They're under fifty. And I I will say we also got. I think we um, tried to get Jeff Tweedy. Actually, that's right. We we did get we did get Tripcast fan Kevin Russell of Shiny Ribs to record a theme song Mm -hmm. for us. Um, And it's you know. I know he doesn't do the theme song anymore, but but of course we uh, we replaced uh, table and say that he's the best band in Texas. Oh, he 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 is wonderful. We replaced uh, uh, Shiny Ribs with Spoon. Yes, um, as, as you know, because we replaced Emily with you with Emily. Right? Didn't Shiny Ribs she perform it? She is the your spoon wedding? to my Shiny Ribs. That's <laughs> that's fair. The, the Tripcast has been a step down since Reeves stopped hosting. Um, Todd, we used to have bloopers. Didn't we used to have a blooper reel, too? Back we, when we made mistakes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I would record for several minutes before we started, and then I would always insert sort of something absurd that Evan had said kind of at the end of the podcast. And, and people actually caught on to that, and, you know, they, they noticed when I didn't didn't do it. So then It's I like, just thought, it's like the it. hidden track on the record, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember well, a, a famous example is um, Evan was once explaining his uh, participation and uh, as Mother Ginger, oh uh, yes, and the Nutcracker, and <laughs> if I can uh, just repeat something he said, he he mentioned his um, enormous presumes, <laughs> and it caused this similar reaction, and it, except it completely derailed the podcast, and we ha- actually had to start over because we were laughing so hard. It should, was just you should you should see the picture of me as yeah. Mother Ginger. That they, was, they were enormous, I bet, and they were presumes. That's right. Yes, I bet. We, we would play with that material and include that sort of thing. So yeah. Reeve, are there any I, episodes or any moments that stand out to you? Yeah, jump in. Oh, well, I was going to say, so I went back and tried to listen to some of those early podcasts. I tried to listen <laughs> to some of those early podcasts. And I think the first blooper we did was the first time I hosted, I did such a bad job starting off that we had to start and we had to stop and start many times. So we just threw Evan yelling at me at the end of... <laughs> the podcast to give people a sense of just how badly it was. It was loving. It was, it was, I'm sure it was loving yelling. Yep. I remember when Evan pulled me into the office after Elise was leaving and said, no, Elise thinks you should be the next host. I wouldn't have thought that, but we'll try it. I'm, I I was building your confidence. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, to any of you, Reeve or uh, Todd or anyone else, are you surprised that the Troopcast is still going after this many years? (laughs) A little. I was surprised when you told me how many episodes we had done. I mean, that's a ton. What is the number? Say say the number. This is the 429th. So the first one was October 2009. Yes. So that was... We we did one before launch? We, I believe we did. We recorded did a couple one. of recorded yeah. Yeah. This, this existed. I didn't realize this. The Tripcast is truly as old as the Texas Tribune. Or, or a little you, there's, older. There was right? a post. I have a, a board. I think Todd was showing, or maybe Ross. I have a board in my office that is sort of the first homepage. And at the very top right of the homepage, right. there's a post from Evan that says, we're on iTunes. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, yeah. boy. Again, Stone Age. Stone yeah, cool Age. Kids, right? We all had propeller hats. Stone Age. We're on yeah. Friendster. 
Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> right. Well, one thing that's nice about the TripCast is that it's, it's relatively easy to produce. You, you may disagree, but one, once we kind of get in the room and you just start talking, you just hit record and then and then you basically add the music and hit post. And there wasn't, it's not a huge lift. So if it were a huge lift, I wouldn't yeah, have it done it. Yeah, it might be hard to keep. <laughs> it's, it's an easy boulder to keep rolling, I guess. Yep. So, uh, Reeve, any parting thoughts from you? Every Any uh, moments, TribCast moments to remember now that you've moved on? Well, I would say when we did our um, episode with the Slate Political Gap Fest, that was quite something. I listened to them in college. Uh, but really, I, all, the podcast was my favorite thing I did during my time at the Texas Tribune. Um, it was just a fun weekly thing, always a great conversation. And um, I would just like to pile on from the earlier section of the show to say what a great person Ross Ramsey is. And I think <laughs> the podcast would not have had the substance without his presence. <laughs> Reeve, you did a great, you really did do it. In all, in, all, in all sincerity, you did a great job as the host. And in a lot of ways, um, that it, era. It's never been the, as good. It's true. You said it. Golden age. Yeah, uh, right. it was the but, golden age. But, but you, 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 were, you really were wonderful at that. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to get in, speaking of Ross, what was that Rossism that I heard on the first episode? I believe he said, tweet or get off the perch. Oh, right. Chirp or get off the perch. Chirp or get off the perch. Tweet would be a little too yes. on the nose. He's like our own Dan Rather, yeah. right? It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Gib Lewis quote. Yep. Uh, all right, well, we are going to uh, thank Reeve and Todd for joining us and then get back into a few more questions uh, mm-hmm. sent in from our readers about the Tribune. So thank you, Reeve and Todd. Uh, okay, Evan, Evan and Ross. Um I'm just going to, there's a sort of hit list here and we have a few minutes left. So I'm just going to run through some of these. Uh, Delena asks, so over all these years, how have you stayed as nonpartisan as possible as sort of the news business and this sort of political environment has become increasingly partisan? You know, you have to cover all of the news. And basically the idea is give everybody all the tools and all the information they need to go do whatever it is that they want to do. And, mm-hmm. and also why cut your audience in half? I think it's easy to be nonpartisan when you hate everybody, (laughs) which which I do. When, you know, you think both sides are terrible, which I do. And I think that, honestly, it starts at the top. I think the people here, you, Emily, as the editor-in-chief and, and, uh, you know, Ross as the mother superior of this newsroom and news organization and everybody at the Tribune in leadership all absolutely believes that what distinguishes us from everybody else is our profound commitment to down the middle solves the riddle. Right, that's it. Yep. And um, we also understand that if we strayed, the the way that we've positioned ourselves out in the funding universe would also uh, uh, be compromised. And I think that this has been an asset to us, a strength to us. You know, we're, yeah. we don't we don't need to be one of those news organizations that reaffirms the voices you hear in your head. You want to be the place people go when they say, "Oh my God, what's really going on?" Yep. Right. Uh, so a whole bunch of people have asked, I think, everyone's favorite question, which is, what were your early blunders? What mistakes did you make? What What would you like to do over if you could go back in time? You would get enough capacity to be able to get through your first election night. We took yeah, we the had site, a, ma- we we had a major, down. We major, put up a fuck up, major fuck up yeah. on election night in 2010, um, right? Yeah. Where, where we because just didn't we just have got the, too much site traffic and the we crashed. The technology infrastructure that mm-hmm. we had was not up to... Uh, was not the up, to the, yeah. up to the task. Um, I think generally on technology, I think that we were arrogant in that respect as well uh, to our great detriment we, in thinking that we didn't need to go out and buy products off the shelf that would allow us to run this place. We were going to build our own, goddammit, and that was it. And we were going to not spend the money. Right. And I think it just cost us over time. And we're still paying back to some degree the technical debt for 10 years on that. 
Um, I think when you don't know, when you're young and you're stupid and you don't know, you're young and you're stupid and you don't know. But, you know, on the substance of it, largely I think that everything that we've done for 10 years on content has been defensible. I'm, mm -hmm. I, you could go back and quarrel with should we have written this story this way or this headline or should we have actually had this event? Should we have programmed the Tribune Festival this particular right. way? I mean there's a lot of things you could go back and do. But, you know, it's, it's all of a piece. Mm -hmm. There were, you know, there's three silos. There's the journalism, which we kind of knew how to do. You make mistakes within that, but you correct them. Like Evan said, you know, we, we know how to do that. The technology, we thought we knew what we were doing. We sort of did and we sort of didn't. And the business was sort of invented as you go. I mean, right. it's a little piece of this and a little piece of that. You know, I always compare it to like a lemonade stand and you add another thing, you know, maybe we ought to also sell cookies. Maybe we ought to also sell Diet Coke and that didn't work and this did work and kind of fumble around and find the way. Yeah, I mean, on that note, uh, Jen Ramos asks, what's the craziest thing you've had to do to keep the lights on? Is there ever, you know, what, is there anything we've had to do from the standpoint of our business model or, or you know? There has never been a day in the history of the Texas Tribune when the financial health of this organization yes, has been at wood. risk. I mean, seriously. And that is one mm -hmm. of the most amazing things in the world. Because yeah, we've never had is, a payroll moment where you sort this of, is, yeah. the, This is a complete uh, Mickey Rooney... Andy Hardy, let's put on a show in a garage type deal. And yet over the 10 years, it's never actually been at risk of coming apart, which I think is amazing. Mm -hmm. What, as you look back uh, over the last 10 years, what is the moment where you thought we've done it? We've made it. You know, this, there, are no sleep, there are no more sleepless nights. Uh, I'll let you know. <laughs> no, you know, seriously. Yeah. It, it depends on what you're thinking about. You know, I sort of had, there was this, you know, sort of funny episode when we very first started we, we basically put the staff in the office about two months before we threw the switch, I think early September of 2009. And you remember, a bunch of us jumped in the car and went over to um, Office Max or Office Depot and... Um, did wheelies and shopping carts Did wheelies carts in, in the, the shopping cart, lot. put our very first office expenses on my American Express mm -hmm. card. And, um, you know, I looked at that group of people and that day, I, you know, I, I sort of on that day thought, you know, if this is, this is the group of people that's going to make this work. And I, you know have been nervous and, and confident ever since then. I, I will say, if, if there's one moment over the 10 years where I thought, you know, kind of like Richard Dreyfus and Jaws, we're going to need a bigger boat. Mm -hmm. The day of the Wendy Davis filibuster, which caught us all off guard, even though we had been live streaming the legislature for the 2011 session in its entirety and for all of the 2013 session, when the day of the filibuster happened and we began to see our site traffic going up and up and up and the attention on us as a consequence of that was was growing. I was still in a mode at that time as I am now of thinking have you know if you if you can go home at the end of the day and have dinner with your kids you're never going to get that time back make sure you do it. And so even on that day I said I'm going to go home and I'm going to have dinner with my kids while all that was going on and I kept my phone near on the dinner table near me that night. And I saw the tweet from Obama for America come over where, in, in effect, the president tweeted, something special is happening in Texas tonight. The traffic spiked, right. And I said to my, I said, kids, I got to go. And that was the end and, went, and came back. And, I thought, and, on, and at that moment, that was the night where really for us, if there is in fact a night over mm -hmm. the 10 years where we went from being, you know, this startup news organization limping along to all of a sudden realizing, holy crap, this is a going concern now. Mm -hmm. Right. It was probably that. I remember that night I'd been giving a speech in Australia and I was on the flight home and my plane landed at like 6 p.m. and I looked at my phone and saw what was going on and I'd been away from home for like 10 days and I 
texted my husband and said, I'm going straight Gotta to work. Got to go to the office. <laughs> you know, and this is yeah. something that we don't often talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we have benefited over the 10 years, if you think about it, from being in an extraordinary news environment. Mm -hmm. Texas is different than other places. Yeah. Texas provides material that no other place yeah. provides. And if you think about what's happened over the 10 years, Rick Perry running for president in 2012 and in 2016, mm -hmm. Wendy Davis running for governor after the filibuster in, uh, you know, the year prior, Ted Cruz running for president in 2016, Beto O'Rourke running for the Senate in 2018, I mean, we really have had these incredible, what are undeniably national right. news moments. Well, and here. beyond those national news moments, it's things like hurricanes. It's things like the border crisis. Harvey, it's, the I mean, family-separated crisis. We produce the most crude news. oil. We have yeah. the most people without health insurance. Mm -hmm. We have the most contiguous miles with the border. You kind of go down the list. Everything about Texas is superlative. Which is essentially at the very beginning, back at the very beginning, why this works. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And so when we now say, you know, we have this branding campaign that's going to present the Texas Tribune, we hope to an even wider audience going forward in decade two. And when we say as part of that campaign, and I credit Wendy Smith, the great brand guru in Austin for having helped us arrive at this, um, you know, that it's an exceptional news organization for an exceptional state. You know, that's effectively the message of the, mm -hmm. of the brand proposition. This is an exceptional state in ways that are both good and bad. Right, the concept of Texas exceptionalism is something, yeah. and it allows us to do this kind of work in an environment that has a great big Klieg light on it. Not everybody else enjoys the benefits of having that kind of a stage. We happen to be on a big stage. Yeah. Well, you all have been exceptional contributors to an exceptional Tribcast. That's all the time we have today. Thanks to Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas, Raise Your Hand Texas, the Texas Energy Summit, and the Texas Bankers Association, our sponsors this week. Thanks to Spoon, as always, for our theme music. And thanks to all of you, our listeners, for sticking with us for years upon years of Tribcast. On behalf of Evan, Ross, Todd, Reeve, and our producers, Michael, Ray, and Bobby, this is Emily. Thanks for listening. Hey.